Hello and welcome to Sobriety Elevated, the podcast that is committed to empowering you in your recovery and elevating your sobriety. Join us now for the next episode. We hope you create an incredible experience. Let's get the show started. I'm going to just read a few passages out of the video. I'm just joking. (laughs) (laughs) And we're back with another episode, part two here with our friend Zach Scott. And I've always got Jim with me as well. We're excited about this one. We're going to kind of change what we're talking about a little bit, both Zach and Jim both work a lot in recovery center. Zach works in recovery center. He said earlier in the previous episode that he's never really had a, a job much besides being in a treatment center. So I'm interested as a guy who's been to treatment and, you know, like most addicts, I went to treatment and I would have been able to run it so much better because, you know, we, I'm an egomaniac and uh, I thought I could fix all the things that they were doing wrong. It's interesting to me to hear like the other perspective and just what it's like. Zach, we'll start with you. And then Jim, don't worry. You're going to look at me just taking control like this. But Jim, don't worry. You're going to be next. Zach, what's it like working in treatment? Magic, devastating, the most exciting thing, most heartbreaking thing. It is both yin and yang. Like It is one of, I I, I can't imagine doing something else. Like I've, like I said, I've, I've only had jobs in treatment, but I've done just about everything in treatment. I've done marketing, I've done medications, I've done worked with the doctors, I've built part programs, I've done all sorts of stuff. Now I'm a counselor. Man, it's tough, but it's also one of the most rewarding and most beautiful things in the world because most most areas of medicine, you or mental health progress is long. Like in treatment, you can have someone come in weigh like 86 pounds, dreadlocks, and not because they want them, dreadlocks because they just don't have any other option, and super malnourished, super unhealthy. And then within two weeks, they've gained weight, the lights come back on in their their eyes, and this broken, miserable person who's just been so complacent in their misery for so long now has some level of joy. Like you'll hear them laughing or hear the person playing a game and smiling and like having a deep belly laugh. And it's like, this is the freaking magic in it. And, you know, you have your people that don't make it. But for me, that's just motivation to work that much harder with the next patient and empower them to work even harder for themselves. Because I, I can't work harder than they do, but I got to empower them. And it's, it's a beautiful tragedy of chaos and wonder all at once. Zach, thank you. I want to point one thing out that I've noticed that I think is possibly unique, or maybe I'm just have never noticed it. I love how you refer to the people that go into treatment as patients, as opposed to like as residents. I hear a lot of people say the residents, the residents, and it almost then like makes it less of like a sickness or an illness. So I just appreciate that. I don't know if that's conscious or subconscious, but just something I wanted to point out. That's pretty cool. I've actually had to make that conscious shift for me. Because if, if, we're, if we're talking about addiction as a medical disease, if we're utilizing medical benefits with insurance, we need to use medical jargon. We need to use the medical verbiage. So if these people are coming to us for, for support because something is sick, if something's not working right in their life, we need to call them, I feel, patients. I actually believe that it is empowering in a weird way. 
I love that. You said about hearing people laugh. I'm going to, Jim, we'll hand it off to you in one second. I can remember I have one story early on in treatment. You know, I came into treatment and I hated my life. Obviously, most people that go into treatment aren't going in there on a winning streak is the joke I think people say. It was awful. And I, I couldn't remember the time when I had like real joy or real laughter because my mind was just so foggy. And I, I can remember sitting kind of in like the sitting area. Jim, you probably, you know the place well, right by the fireplace. And we were playing a card game. And I just started laughing hysterically about the stupidest things, but it was like a real laugh. And I can remember almost getting emotional as at the end of the day, like as it settled down, because it was like, wow, that was like authentic and real. And I like felt that. That was pretty cool. So I can imagine that it's probably pretty cool to be able to experience and see those transformations that are good as well. Jim, what what are your thoughts on that as a guy that also works in treatment centers a lot? I've been working in treatment centers since 2008. That's when I started. So I've literally done my workshops for more than 30,000 people right now. The first 10,000 I counted. And it is my favorite place to work is in treatment centers. I really love the fact that a lot of times you're getting people when they are at their lowest point. And oftentimes when somebody is at their lowest point, you have the most potential with the littlest things to make the biggest difference. One of the treatment centers that I work at now, if you've been in one of my workshops, at times they tend to be controversial because I have some very unique ways that I look at recovery. And I used to get brought into the uh, the clinical team meetings and kind of called on the carpet for what was going on. And I finally looked at one day and say, you bring me in here so that I can get all of this stuff to come up so that the therapeutic team can actually assist these people to deeply heal. And that was the last time that I've been in a therapeutic meeting because they just know that. And I'll often tell people that in, in the workshops. I really love being in recovery centers. It takes a lot of bravery. It takes a lot of courage to actually admit that you have such a problem that you have to come out publicly and say, I'm an addict and actually go to a place and sit with a bunch of other people and you're sitting around a room and you're looking at your problems with a commitment to a solution that takes so much strength that takes so much courage people that go to recovery personally i think they are some of the strongest people in the world because they are willing to face their darkest demons with a commitment to heal and yeah we have a lot of failure but let me tell you we have successes too Earlier, you were talking about how people change over time, right? I have, you know, Caleb, who was a guest here last week. He looks so much better with 43 days clean from everything. I really think the process of recovery as it evolves or as it goes through a renaissance, you are literally seeing people that are that are becoming that that they were not in their addiction coming to treatment is probably one of the most powerful things someone can do 
that is bravery, like you mentioned. So many people come to treatment with their head held or head low, head heading down to the floor, haven't seen anything above someone's belly button in a long time because they're just constantly looking at the ground. They're broken, they're hurt, they're sad, and they're going through this difficult time because no one comes to treatment when they're on top of their game. People go to treatment where they're at the worst of the worst. When you go to treatment, you're uh, you're depriving yourself of the one thing you've trained yourself to utilize as a crutch during the worst times. So you're in your worst time. You don't have the tool that you've used to help you get through the worst time. So it's just compounded even more. And all you want to be when you go to treatment is normal. You want to be ordinary. You want to be like everyone else. But I like to tell my patients, I'm like, y'all aren't designed for being ordinary. Y'all are designed for being extraordinary. You feel so much more. You experience so much more. Most people go through life day to day taking it for granted. People who go to treatment, who pursue recovery, they don't have the luxury of taking life for granted anymore. They look every day to see how they can make themselves better and the world around them better. I don't know anything that's more powerful than that. They are designed to be extraordinary. We aren't designed to be status quo. We are designed to be able to offer so much more to the world. Even Abraham Lincoln said that the problem of intemperance tends to plague the gifted, the talented, the genius. And it's true. We are the gifted, the talented, the genius. We're not, we don't have a monopoly on that by any means, but we are so empathic. We are hyper-emotional. We have these gifts. And because we've been through the chaos, the sadness, the trauma, the hurt that we've been through, We now get the opportunity to truly respect and appreciate life on life's terms in the 12-step jargon. We get to live life without trying to control it, and we get to appreciate it instead of trying to dictate it. Well, I love that. Yeah, I mean, you got to almost absorb that because, you know, being an addict slash alcoholic seemed like a curse for me in my life. I can remember as a pretty young guy, you know, I struggled with drinking too much, drugging too much, just too much of anything. And I always had like more feelings. I worried more all that. And I can remember, you know, praying that it would go away. And it just seemed, it seemed like a curse. Like, what did I do wrong to deserve this? It's crazy because I can remember, you know, we talked about gratitude and, you know, we were at a 12 step meeting and this guy said, you know, I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic. And like, he was grateful that he was an alcoholic and all this stuff. I'm like, this dude's a nutcase. But now I see it because of everything you were saying, Zach, is truly because I found recovery. Had I not been an alcoholic or an addict, I would have never done all this work to discover myself and uncover all of my talents, my abilities, everything. And not that I'm like a superhuman guy. I'm a pretty normal down to earth dude. Jim doesn't like when I say it, but pretty simple guy, you know, and who knows where I would be had I not done all of this work because, you know, they do say, you know, it like puts you into the fourth dimension of existence. And that's what I feel like is as I've gotten recovery as, as you know, first it was about a substance and there was a substance date and there was all that, but it was so much more than that. Like it became a, a, a lifestyle. And like you said, you know, I think it was the last episode, recovery maintenance, And that's what my life is now. Like I'm maintaining this recovery daily by doing the right things. And I have the peace. I have the joy. I have all of those things because of it. And it started for me in treatment. And, you know, I'm, I'm rambling a little bit, but anybody who's, who's listening to this and you're thinking about going to treatment, I can remember, 
Um, I didn't really have a choice. It was that, or there was a lot of consequences. So I went in, uh, but my head was down. I was, I was depressed. And actually I wish I could get a copy of my intake photo and you, we could put it next to it now because I was awful. It was awful looking, awful feeling. I hated myself, hated everyone else too. And it was everybody else's fault. And it was awful. And that transformation over those 90 days, you know, People like you, Zach, there were people in my treatment center that saved my life. So first off, thank you. You know, I think that it's probably an underappreciated job and role to work in those treatment centers. But those people that sat with me at night and, and went over things with me, people that were probably grossly underpaid, but sat there and worked through some of this crap and chaos with me and got me to the other side. And that's one thing, too. I want them to know, like, that they, you know, I send a Christmas card there and all that because I want to know, like, they made a difference. You know, my wife and my kid are in my Christmas card, which if they like hearing me in group and in therapy, they, they're like, wait, who is this family? Because this family was long gone because of the work that I did and the work that, that they helped, you know, facilitate and lead me through. All of those things were restored and made better than ever. I had a friend once say that he believes addiction is on this earth to prepare a select few for a spiritual awakening. And I 100% agree. Like you've been able to have that spiritual awakening. Jim, you've had that spiritual awakening. I try and have a small spiritual awakening every day. We get that opportunity and we're not confined to the constraints of our past. Like the big book talks about, we do not regret our past nor wish to close the doors on our future. We can't. We need that opportunity to put forth the, give the suffering that we have a purpose. You know what I mean? If, if we don't grow from it, if we don't allow ourselves to learn, then we're just living in it still. We're missing the lesson. Life's all about the lessons. What lesson are we getting? And you've learned a great lesson and your family's been able to learn the lesson as well. Substance abuse treatment is hospice. It is spiritual hospice, emotional hospice, and physical hospice as well. We gotta look at it like that. We gotta help empower these people for change. We can't control, we can't dictate, we can't use black and white thinking. We can't say that this is the only method that's ever going to work for you. We got to empower them to find what works for them. Empower them. One of the reasons, one of the things that I do to empower people is I don't just focus on the substance. The substance was the solution. The substance was the, the companion. And, but it also was the barrier from accomplishing the things that they really wanted to accomplish in their life. So let's get back to what we want to accomplish. Let's get back to finding those passions. And once we get able to get wrapped up in that again, we're able to make a significant progress. That is so powerful because part of what you do is part of what I do in my coaching. Until you understand why you use, you're bound to do it again because the first time that you used, it was a solution to a mental problem and it worked. And what do we as humans do when things work? We do them more and more and more. The problem is, is it became a problem because you've never addressed the healing of your core issue. If you're in recovery, you've got to do the work to heal your core issues to make sure that whatever happened as a young person, because most of these things happen as young people and these young minds they just create so much pain and when they create that level of pain the only solution is your addiction 
Zach, I loved what you said because it really, it points to as whether it's a renaissance or an evolution, as the recovery field grows and as we get our 2G, 3G, 4G, and 5G of how we handle this thing called addiction, we are going to evolve. You still need to do the work. And Kevin, I mean, you're the perfect example. You did the work up front. You're doing the maintenance work. And you have really, your life is unrecognizable today into what it was three years ago. And for that, you need to give yourself credit for the work you did because you chose recovery. You have, your path is so clear and you're on it every day. It's really incredible. Yeah, a few things. First off, Zach, I knew deep down you're a little bit of a big book thumper. I appreciate you quoting the book. Thank you for that. I got you, Kevin. I yeah, got you. Got me. Um, thank you. Secondly, all that that proves, Jim, is if I can do it, I think anybody can do it. If you would take a poll, and it's it's easy for people to hear me on on this, and and people that didn't know me before to like hear this and be like, this guy always had it figured out. If you would take a poll of 30 people that knew me when I used on a regular basis, would Kevin stay sober for six months? Uh, I'm in recovery for a gambling addiction, but I would bet a lot of those people would have bet a lot of money that said not a chance. 30 out of 30 would have said no way. A lot of my friends that were close to me, only a few people that were in recovery, honestly. I have one friend who's been in, is in long-term recovery and he actually him and my business partner picked me up from rehab and stuff like that to keep me safe. He was one of the only ones that said, I kind of thought this would work for you. It wasn't like people thought I had it figured out. So if I can do it, anybody can do it. And my journey and my path, I'm pretty public about, but it started first with treatment. If you have an opportunity to go to treatment, which there's so many options out there, you know, and there's insurance, there's money issues, all that, I get it, but there are options out there where you can get into treatment and you can do these things that Zach was talking about and Jim was talking about, and that's dealing with the core issues. You know, for me, I thought if I just quit drinking or what I really thought is if I can go to rehab and learn how to drink like a normal person and drug like a normal person, you know, because normal people think about that all day long on how they can be normal about drinking. Um, it turns out that once I stopped drinking, all that it did was it exposed all of those problems. But the beauty of that was I was able to then finally deal with them. And again, things still flare up. Things are there's still issues. But what I, what I do is every single day, I'm maintaining this recovery program and plan that I have. And it honestly, I was just talking to a guy that I met in treatment. He was a, a guy that worked there, one of the, the people that worked there. And he asked me, what is successful about it? Well, you know, they would make you do this continuing care plan. And I literally did every single thing that was on it. And I still do every single thing that was on it. I don't want to say every single day because I'd probably be lying, but I do those things. So you have to do the work. So if somebody's out there, and that's what I don't like when people say, oh, the 12 steps don't work, or oh, this program doesn't work, or that program doesn't work, you got to actually do the program. I think most of the programs, if you actually did what they said, probably would have a pretty high success rate, very high success rate. But people don't go all in and they don't do all those things. It works if you work it. There we go. There we go again, Zach. I love it. You've been listening to Sobriety Elevated. 
if you like us, rate us, and share us with your friends. Zach, thank you for being an incredible guest. We may have to bring you back. Thank you, Zach. Thanks for listening. Everybody, have an incredible day, and we will see you in the next episode.